0: Okay, so you always have something to learn, right? I always get confused around Advent. We are in the fourth week of Advent, and ironically for, I guess this is what have been Saturday's uh, reading, because something ships and changes here, which I could never really figure out. Well, we have here the readings for December 17th. Right, I was about to do Monday, so I'm going to cover this. All right so these are the readings for i guess what would have been for saturday all right so december 17th and the entrance antiphon here is from isaiah forty nine thirteen. rejoice o heavens and exult o earth for our lord will come to show us mercy in his uh to his poor in the name of the father son holy spirit let's say the act of contrition I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask blessed Mary, ever virgin, and all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to please pray with me and for me to the Lord, our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us and forgive us all our sins. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Christe eleison, Christe eleison, Christe eleison. Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison, Kyrie eleison. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord oh have mercy. O God, Creator and Redeemer of the human human nature. Who will, who will that your word should take flesh in an ever virgin womb? Look with favor on our prayers, that your only begotten Son, having taken to himself our humanity, may be pleased to grant us a share in his divinity, who lives and reigns with you in a unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. I'd like to read again from the uh, favorite prayers from the Imitation of Christ. Dear Lord, when when I recall the wonders you have wrought, even spiritual comforts become burdensome to me. For as long as I do not behold you, O Lord, in all your glory, nothing that I hear or see in this world means anything to me. O my God, you are my witness, that nothing can comfort me, nor can any creature bring me rest, except for you, my God, whom I long to see for all eternity. However, this is impossible, as long as I remain in this mortal life. Therefore, I must be determined to be very patient, and to submit myself to you in all my desires your saints who now rejoice with you in the kingdom of heaven had to wait during their lifetime in faith and with much patience for in the coming of for the coming of your glory what they believed i believe what they hope for i hope for and where they now enjoy your presence i trust that through your grace i too shall be permitted to share that joy until then Strengthened by the example of your saints, I will walk in faith. I also shall have your sacred scriptures to comfort me and to instruct me in the life I must lead. Above all those comforts, I will have your most sacred body for my special remedy and refuge. Dear Lord, in this life, there are two things I particularly need and without which this miserable existence would be unbearable food and food and light knowing my weakness you have given me your sacred body for the nourishment of my own soul and body and your word is a lamp to my feet without these i can i too cannot uh, without these two i cannot live the life you wished me to lead for the word of god is the light of my soul and your sacrament is the bread of life. These may be called the two tables in the treasury of the Church. One is the table of the holy altar, on which reposes the holy bread, the precious body of Christ. The other is that of the divine law, which contains holy doctrine, instructs us in the true faith, and leads us securely, even beyond the inner veil, Wherein is the Holy of Holies? Amen. These are very beautiful words, and this comes from living the Catholic life. I think Thomas Akempis, or Kempis, who wrote The Imitation of Christ, understood that. He was an Augustinian and he understood. That the only way, the only way is to live the, the the faith by completely surrendering yourself, by completely, like, stop wrestling with this world, this world that constantly makes us up two minds and makes us hypocritical. This is what probably happened to Judas. He could not trust, maybe. He could not. Give up this world because that's what happens with some people. They just see this world. They see the world and they see everything else is impossible. So they begin to think it's impossible for God to do all this. Yes, miracles are possible. But at the same time, I don't know if anybody saw Season two, uh, I mean, episode two of season three, there's a beautiful scene where little James, played by I forgot the actor's name for God, forgive me, but he, he, the actor actually has a handicap, he limps. And Jesus just commissioned, he chose the 12, and he wants to send them out. But the question is. If there was a possibility that some of the apostles might have had this little James, they really uh, they decided He approached the Lord and said that they're more competent, they're more they're better, stronger. and there's a scene where him, the actor, and and Jonathan Rumi are talking, and they're addressing the situation of the possibility of handicap and people who may not have been healed. In a sense, it brought to mind Saint Bernadette, the fact that she, in her in the end of her life, she suffered from a cancerous tumor and tuberculosis of the bone. Horrible, horrible! She had a hor- horrible tumor on her her leg, her knee. And some of the nuns wanted to take her to Lourdes so she can. Maybe the water can heal her. And she said, It's not for her. It's for others, but not for her. And the lady, the lady, our lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary, promised her, said to her, I cannot promise you happiness in this life, but in the next. So the fact that she was the one that the water of lords was revealed through, uh, Bernadette was the instrument. And the fact that she could not be healed, that she was not, that she was not given this permission. Now, in other words, if, even if she went and, let's say, drank from the water or bathed in the water, it would not have done her any good. And the reason why is, is that the healing of the soul is far more important to God than the healing of the body. It's very hard for people to understand that. But many people can be healed in the body, but they're not happy in the soul because that's where you really are. That is your real essence, your real place of the real you. Your body is only the shell. The, not that it's not important, it's holy because the body reflects the image and likeness of God more the soul than the body. But the question is, how many people can be healed? Like it's like in the story where they visualize this this conversation. And how many people can talk about it? I've been healed. I've been healed. I've been healed. The Lord has physically healed me. But what about your soul? What about that, that part of us? That is far more important, far more greater than the physical body. Because many people are handsome, beautiful, and healthy. They have all the money in the world. They have all the fame in the world. They are beautiful, fantastic people. They, I mean, everybody admires them and worships them for their, for their beauty, for, their, for, you know, for everything. I mean, how many of us, we see that? And when you meet them, you admire them from far away. You admire them from what you see in the movies and pictures and, and song, you know they're, they're celebrities on stage and they sing. But when you meet them, when you meet the real person, unless you're completely a pagan and don't care, they treat you like crap. You find out that they're the most disgusting person you ever met. The the despicable human being you ever met. That they are nothing of what you visualize in your mind. Unless you don't care, then you're dead inside and that proves your soul is dead. That, that is what God cares about. Your heart your soul, the very depths of your being, who you are. Are you that wretched? Are you that diseased in your soul that you don't even care? Your so-called celebrity is a despicable human being. You see what I'm saying? That, that's the person God's talking about right there. That's the soul. That's the healing. And if you don't care, then what difference does physical healing matter? I mean, think about it. If you're not healthy inside of you, how much more... On the, you know, I mean, think about it. That's where the real disease is. That's where the real sickness is. And your physical ailments will only bring out More than what's inside of you. But imagine if you're healed in yourself. There's a Dallas Jenkins interviewed an individual. I have to get to his, know his name is the first time I, he has, the man is born with no arms and no legs. No arms and no legs. If you go on a chosen app, he he showed him in YouTube, but he shows an interview with him this individual is a Christian. He has a slight accent, might be British or Australian, I'm not too sure. But as an eight year old boy, he tried to commit suicide in a bathtub because he couldn't stand the way he lived. But then in the bathtub he said his mind, an image came of his poor mother after like, at his funeral and he decided to change his mind. It was like trying to find a comfortable position to die, to drown him to, to, to drown himself. He he refuses to put God in a box to expect healing from God, that God has to do this. He could do it. He could do it. He could most definitely do it. God can most definitely do this for him, heal him, give him arms and legs. he began to realize that there's a purpose. He, he sees a purpose and a meaning to his suffering. A purpose and meaning to his suffering. That to his, that there's a purpose and meaning to this trial, this cross he has to bear. And that takes a lot. It takes a lot of spiritual growth and a relationship with God. One day he will have arms and legs. One day he will. He will embrace Christ with arms and legs. But not here, because here is where here is where the healing has to begin. The healing has to begin here. One day my friend Henry will not suffer from diabetes. One day... God willing, he will be healed. But here, God knows the cross. We need certain crosses to heal us, to bring us closer to him. Some people will not understand this and comprehend this. But this is part of the process that God is doing to heal us, to make us stronger, to make us reflect him. We'll talk about this more on uh, another episode. Okay. The first reading is from the book of Genesis. Okay. This was definitely, I think, from last uh, this last Saturday. So it's a day, uh, well, I guess better late than never, right? Chapter 49, verse 2 of Genesis. Uh, Verse two and then eight to ten. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. I wonder why they did it like this here anyway. Okay. We're reading from the book of Genesis, Jacob called his two his, his called his sons and said to them Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob, listen to Israel your father. You Judah shall your brothers praise your hand on the neck of your enemies the sons of your father shall bow down to you excuse me sorry judah like a lion's whelp you have grown up on prey my son he crouches like a lion's recumbent the king of beasts who would dare rouse him. The scepter shall never depart from Judah or the mace from between his legs while tribute is brought to him and he receives the people's homage. This is talking definitely, there's an image of the line of kings like David and all the sons of David, the the kings. That is an imperfect image. Here, um, we can look at it from this. Okay, um, here he called all his his sons. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Remember, he Jacob uh, was the youngest. Uh, I think Rebecca. Their mother gave birth to twins. Twins they were, but very different. Esau came out first. Jacob followed his brother, holding on to his ankle. Okay? And God revealed to her um, her actions. This God knew this was going to happen. The youngest will overpower the older. Esau came out. Little bit of a hairy looking kid, red and hairy. And in a sense, he represents the fall, the fall of um, Adam. Uh, the word Esau is related to the name Adama, red earth, man of the earth. And Esau was very much a jock, he was a, a man of the field, uh, a hunter. Uh, a little bit like Cain in many ways like Cain and uh, Jacob uh, as his name would be a deceiver <laughs> not not much different really right but in a sense he Yaqub or Yaakov he would deceive and there is there was no there was actually division in the house of Isaac um she um <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Rebecca, she loved her son, Esau, he was a tent dweller, he was a contemplative man, he was a thinking man, he was more sophisticated, while well, his brother liked to go running out in the fields and with hunting gazelle with a bow and arrow or spear, and he was that most definitely, and he chased after. The the local women the uh, the Hittites, Hittites actually they weren't local they were they came from Indo Europe up north and uh, a good place that represented him was um, Troy Troy was a Hittite city uh, the highest cultural place they took. Adopted other cultures, Greek and Egyptian and Syrian. They 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 took uh, other other cultures, religions and gods. I guess they felt that that would prosper them. But the, going going off course. But Esau did not. Was not a, a spiritual contemplative man. He wasn't a meditative man. He wasn't a man that thought too much about God or put too much interest in God. He liked life out in the field. He liked the the mountains. He liked hunting. He liked uh, challenges. Uh, he was a brute, but he was you know. But he and he liked his women. Okay, and he liked the drink. And what happened was, Esau was hungry one day, and Jacob was making a, a lentils lentils uh, porridge or some kind of soup. Maybe it was a cereal. Who knows? But he was desperate. Esau was desperate for food. He was hungry. And Jacob took advantage of him and took advantage of the moment. What will you give me? The two went back and forth. Esau laughed and said, So you will let me starve to death. What do you want from me? Give me your birthright. You want my birthright? You want me to give you my birthright over a bowl of lentils? Fine. Take it and give me my bowl of lentils. So he didn't realize he probably didn't think in his mind he was really doing this. But he didn't realize he just made a covenant. He despised his birthright and for a bowl of lentils to satisfy his carnal appetite. This is, in a sense, a a type picture of our of our own spiritual deformity that we sometimes would give up. The virtues. He didn't have much virtue. He didn't have any virtues. He didn't have any value. He didn't realize that his brother was reading was being serious. And he did it. He gave up the blessings and his relationship with God for a bowl of soup. It's a type picture of Judas betraying Jesus for thirty pieces of silver. It's the same thing. The metaphor may be a metaphor, but there's a reality behind it. Remember, this this will be repeated over and over and over again. <clears throat> and people despising their relationship with God for carnal pleasure. David did it with Bathsheba. And it cost him; uh, it didn't cost him his salvation. But there was symbolism in it: the Israelites in the desert. God saved them from everything, and then they wound up cursing their the the their their situation, even though they were free. They wanted to go back to Pharaoh, and w- willingly give up their freedom—a symbol, a symbolism of giving up their salvation, their relationship with God, their freedom with God for comforts and willingly to be slaves, slaves back to sin. They cursed the manna and God sent them vipers, a symbol of the fall, the serpent. These are all, these are repeated over and over again. They, they didn't, they did they refused to see the miracles. They refused to see what God has willingly done for them. The 10 plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the, you know he would take care of them they ref- they did not trust the 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 fact that they he parted waters the waters is a symbol of the nations meaning that he's that he will guide them through the the political turmoil the church through the political turmoil through the troubles through the politics through the wars through the genocide Everything. He will be with us, God with us, and guide us through all those troubles. And even through the wilderness, and everyone goes through a wilderness. The wilderness is a dry spell. Even when sometimes you it's hard to see God, you will you will see him. You will find him even through the wilderness of your soul. That's the symbolism and meaning of it. Here, we get this image here. Okay, you Judah shall your brothers praise. Your hand on the neck of your enemies. The hand, enemies, is symbolism of the, of your of sin. Your brothers could be the brothers of your of the fellow humanity, or the brothers in the church, in a sense, or the division in Christendom. But basically, your brothers is more your form, your 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 brothers among the nations. The sons of your father shall bow down to you. You could say, the sons of Adam, the sons of Adam shall bow down to you. Judah, like a lion's whelp. The tribe of Judah, the Judah, the lion is the the king of beasts. You have grown up on pride, my son. He he crouches like a lion or a The king of beasts, who would dare rouse him? The scepter shall never depart from Judah. This is referring to the the kingship of Christ. Or the mace from between his legs, like a net. The net could be the symbol like the Holy Spirit to capture other nations, to bring them into the church, to bring them through the embracing them, God's net coming down and taking them in. Um, while tribute is brought to him he receives the people's homage other other nations will recognize the church they will recognize the kingship of Christ they will recognize the fact that that, that Christ his church will never depart will never depart. We have to we have to even though it looks bad, it looks bad in the church now, it looks bad with the the weaknesses of the clerics, it looks bad in the sense that it looks like heresy is winning. But we have to remember the gates of hell will never, ever overwhelm the church. All this the the the, the nation of Israel and their temple was a type picture of the church In that other age. In an age that was very different from ours. But also not very different from ours. It's beautiful. But let's move on from here. Okay. Psalm 72. Justice shall flourish in his time. And fullness of peace forever. O God. With your judgment endow the king. And with your justice the king's son. He shall govern your people with justice and your afflicted ones with judgment. Justice shall flourish in his time, and fullness of peace forever. The mountains shall yield peace for the people, and the hills justice. He shall defend the afflicted among the people, save the children of the poor. Justice shall flourish in his time, and fullness of peace forever. Justice shall flower in his days, and profound peace like the moon be no more. May he rule from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. Justice shall flourish in his time, and fullness of peace forever. May his name be blessed forever, as long as the sun his name shall remain. In him shall all the tribes of the earth be blessed. All the nations shall proclaim his happiness. Justice shall flourish in his time, and fullness of peace forever. Alleluia, Alleluia. O wisdom of our God Most High, guiding creation with power and love, come to teach us the path of knowledge. Alleluia, Alleluia. uh, This is, uh, I believe, taken from O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. O wisdom of our God Most High, guiding creation with power and love, come to teach us the path of knowledge. It sounds like... uh, the um, O come, O come, Emmanuel. All right. This is Matthew's gospel, chapter 1, verse 1 to 17. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Now, the word genealogy can be translated as Genesis and can be translated as beginning. Matthew here is making a reference to the Genesis. You go to Mark's gospel. It says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, the Genesis of Jesus Christ. And you go to Luke. Luke himself makes a reference um, to those who have been eyewitnesses of the word from the beginning. Again, he makes a reference to uh, a Genesis, a beginning. And then you go to Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel Hits it right on. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So, Jesus is the divine Logos. The Logos, which gives um, meaning and uh, shape, puts things together, logic and reason, divine reason. The logos is the power, is the divine word. The Greeks believed that there were, that this was the true source of everything. Even in their cosmology of gods, they believed that they came from a divine mind, that they all, in a sense, similar to the way, in some cases, probably to the way the, the, the Hindus, they believed that there was one god, and all these were just attributes of gods or symbols, you know, like symbolizing different things uh, to the order of the universe. So anyway, let's begin. In the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Matthew, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham became the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah became the father of Perez and Zirah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez became the father of Hazran, Hazran the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amanadab, Amanadab the father of Nahashan, Nahashan the father of Salman, Salman the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz became the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed became the father of Jesse, Jesse the father of David the king, David became the father of Solomon, Whose mother has been the wife of Uriah, Solomon became of the father of Rahabam. Rahabam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asaph. Asaph became the father of Jehoshaphat, Yehosephet the father of Jerome, Jerome the father of Uzziah, Uzziah became the father of Jotham. Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah became the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, Amos the father of Josiah. Josiah became the father of Yochaniah and his brothers at the the time of the Babylonian exile. After the Babylonian exile, Yochaniah became the father of Shelatel, Shelatel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Obayat, Obayat became the father of Eliakim, Alaikum, the father of Azur. Azur, the father of Zodek. Zodek became the father of Achaim, Achaim the father of Aliud. Aliud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar became the father of Methan. Methan, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Of her was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus, the total number of generations were from Abraham to David is 14 generations. From David to the Babylonian exile, 14 generations. And and from the Babylonian exile to the Christ, 14 generations. That is the genealogy of Jesus. And it's a lot of names. A lot of them sound very weird. Uh, a lot of them not uh, recognizable. They probably mean nothing to us because if, if you're not familiar with the scriptures, with the 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 history, the Odyssey of the of the people of Israel, you would Jesus would mean nothing. You, we know the name of Jesus. We know the name of Mary. We know Joseph. We know the apostles and Peter and and John and Andrew and 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 and. Uh, you know Matthew and all of them, but the fact is, this is their history, and this is all these names are signposts, and they mean something. The fact that he mentions son of Abraham, uh, son of David, son of Abraham, he put. Um, I want to make sure, he put. Um. He put David. Before Abraham, because David was the promise of the Messiah coming from a royal line of David. He's going, basically, he's going backwards. He's not putting David as more important than Abraham. He's simply tracing, connecting the dots backwards because the, the, the key is Abraham. We just went through Jacob giving his final farewell and blessing to his sons in the first reading, here, the covenant was made to Abraham that all the families of the earth, all the nations, or everyone would be blessed through him. In a sense, Abraham was an ark. Also, he was the source, the well, where all the blessings come from. Abraham, Abraham was the, was the blessing all of it. David was another well, another wellspring, where the kings would come, but also the king of kings. And remember what I said about the body being sick. Well, is well, many humanity is like a body that is sick, but mainly the real sickness is in the soul. Israel got sick. No matter he blessed them, he gave them kings, he gave them a land, he gave them a temple, he gave them. He he made them flourish, but they could not give up sin. And just like our society now, our society is sick. It is a sick society, not just America, but the whole world. It's gotten really ugly, really bad. And it looks like it's going to get more ugly. And no matter what, we want to hold on to this world because we want to think that this is the answer because we are afraid of the next. We don't want to give up. This world, there's a lot of sickness in the church. There's a lot of people who think that the church, the church can bless sin. That the church can take evil and may, and bless it into good. All right. It can, it, it, the church cannot, you cannot woe unto those who call evil, good and good evil. You're not going to do it. It's never going to happen, people. No matter what James Martin, no matter what the liberals say, you cannot sanctify sodomy. You cannot bless same-sex marriages in the church. It will never happen. It will never happen. The Pope can't do it. The Cardinals in Germany can't do it. Uh, no... Rebel priests or rebel bishops or rebel Catholics can do it. They cannot do it. It will never happen. God will not allow it to happen. No matter what, that's holding on to this world. That's not accepting the gift of salvation in the next. It will never happen. And that's something we have to understand because God is a family God. God is a God of marriage. God is the God of marriage between man and woman. There are people who say that Jesus was, was had only female chromosomes because of the fact he's born of a virgin. There are people now trying to make Jesus into a transgender God, that he's a transgender, that he's neither male or female. They, it, the imagination in this obsession of sexuality and, and sex and even to distort sexuality is beyond compare and understanding. It's unbelievable. Here we have a genealogy of the of the family line of Jesus. In the genealogy, there were four women. Okay, you got uh, Tamar, a Canaanite. You got Rahab the harlot. You got. Um, you also have, uh, Rahab the harlot. You have Ruth. Right, and you have Bathsheba. Four women. Four women in uh, non-Jewish women in this line of Jesus. Non-Jewish women. Tamar, because her she was married to Judah's sons, two of his sons, both of them died uh, because they were wicked. And then she dressed up like a harlot, tricked her father-in-law, and she got pregnant by him. Pretty scandalous. And when Judah found out she was pregnant, he decided an opportunity to get rid of her. Uh, during the uh, seduction process, let's say, let's be respectful, she took a ring and a belt or a staff from him that had his insignia, his symbols. She revealed it at the trial. He had to admit she was right because he promised her another son. And he was too young at the time, and his was, intention was not to keep his promise to her. So she had to use some stealth means to get, to, 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 to get her, her justice. The next one was Rahab. Uh, Rahab, uh, she gave birth to two son, twin boys. By the way, the next one was Rahab. She was a, a, in Jericho. She was also a Canaanite, and she was a prostitute. She helped. Uh, this was during a time when Joshua, when the Israelites were wandering, and she helped them take over the city. And she became a member of the Jewish, the Jewish people, and their and their religion and their race. Then she. Then we have Ruth. Ruth, her people of the Moabites. If you go back to Genesis again, earlier, Abraham's cousin, uh, Lot, after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, he didn't realize that his daughters were quite corrupt. They got him drunk. They both slept with him. One of them gave birth. Yes, they slept with their father, had intercourse with their father. And one of them uh, got preg- uh, got pregnant with a boy and named him Moab. They were Born out of incest. They became the race of the Moabites of Ruth. Then you have the famous Bathsheba. She's not even named. David begot Solomon through the wife of Uriah, the Hittite, because the rabbis don't even, didn't like mentioning her by name. She was also a Hittite. She was a Hittite woman. And and again, her people were famous for, for the, for Troy, they made their way down, into european And she was a beautiful woman, and she probably seen David at the banquet party. And for some reason, she decided to have, take a bath on the rooftop within his eye view. It was clear, quite clearly intentional. And she, uh, David took her in. They had a relationship, an adulterous relationship. She got pregnant. He tried to find a way to convince her husband to go back home to cover her up. Her husband refused. David sent him to the front lines to get rid of him. And he got him killed. These are four non-Jewish women in the line of Jesus of Nazareth. Okay? these are, the, And the reason why Matthew puts them in there is because a lot of nasty things are being said about Jesus's mother. So they're dismissing him because of the suspicious concerns of his birth, because of the fact that, rumor, that she says she was a virgin and they want to dismiss her. So they, uh, Matthew is using a rabbinical argument in defense of Mary, the mother of the Lord, and to defend Jesus's reputation and his honor. So you see, Here we have an epic. This is the line of, mostly I believe it is in relation to most definitely Mary's line, but Joseph can, because she's a woman, so Joseph is the closest relative to David. Joseph has another line that in a sense uh, is a little bit more complex, I believe. It could be actually more, I'm sorry, this is really Joseph's line. And then the other one in Luke is Mary's line, because Mary has like, possibly like, because remember, she's cousin to Elizabeth. So there's some family relations crisscrossing, Uh, men died and had to step in to fill in for the, the shoes of the other men. And so there was a, 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 a there's a particular name for which I can't remember right now for some reason. But it's, it's still, Joseph comes in somewhere in the middle, basically, because the family lines concern him. But one of them is most definitely Mary's line, and most definitely in Matthew, it's definitely Joseph's line of uh, lineage. But because she's a woman... It ends with her, the next person in line, the man like Joseph, gets to fill in. You see what I'm saying? And that's how it's done in Judaism. You know, you take the closest kin in the line. She has, she appears Mary seems to have, uh, because Elizabeth is her cousin and Mary and descendants of Aaron, there seems to be some intermarriage relations between the line of Aaron and the line of David. And Mary, Mary has leave, uh, Aaronic blood in her, which goes to Jesus. Right? And then we have, we know John the Baptist is, and John the Baptist is the end of that line. So it's very interesting, very interesting. You see how God works through people's, uh, He has a plan for people. And that plan is beyond our understanding and comprehension. All right. Let's end it here.